Good afternoon, my friends. Happy Wednesday. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. I tell you what, we're in the middle of an awesome series, my back-to-school health series. It's me and my colleagues talking about some of the most challenging, the most pressing issues that are facing our youth today. And at the end of the day, we want to make sure that everybody has the access and the opportunity to do well with their health. So last week we talked about just some awesome stuff. Today we're going to keep this conversation going on. Today we're going to be breaking down eating disorders in adolescents. And I tell you what, this is a very important issue because we're going to talk about really some of the challenges that are out there, but ways for you to, you as caregivers, you as parents, you as, as, as coaches, teachers, anybody that's out there listening to the show today, talk about ways that we can help identify those that need our help, but also to make sure that those that need our help have access to that help. There's no doubt that severe eating disorders are not receiving as adequate of treatment as they should. We're gonna talk about that today, but we're gonna make sure that you at the end of the day, you that's out there caring for your kids, make sure that you have all the resources necessary. And I encourage everybody to talk to their healthcare team when they're dealing with health of their uh, health of their children, as a parent myself, but you out there as parents and caregivers, I want you guys to feel empowered and also to provide a nurturing environment for your kids so that they can have success, both only in school, not only in school, but also setting up for long-term health. I always like when I see when I see kids in my practice that transition to become young adults, as I see people 18 and over, it's really great for me to kind of hear their stories and their journey. And I want to just continue that journey so when, so when kids are graduating from high school and they come in to start seeing me in the practice, that they are set up for long-term success. Remember that your health success is part of just your more broader aspect of your life, the broader perspective of life. As you have a continued success in your health, you're going to have continued opportunities for success in your life. So we're here today at Intellectual Radio Studios. We're broadcasting live on Facebook. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. We're breaking down part two of my Back to Health, Back to School Health series, Eating Disorders in Adolescence. You guys are going to meet my panel in just a bit. We have an excellent group of, of, of people today, clinicians that are out there working with people all the time to help, help us really try to find practical solutions to this pressing issue. And again, I want you guys out there today, don't let this message die down. Again, the importance of what we like to do on this show and to your with Dr. G is to make sure that people have all the resources for success. I, I don't want this message to die down. I want you to go out and share this message with others. Share with anybody who needs to hear a great message of hope and encouragement and, of course, setting people up for long-term health success. So you're going to meet my panel in a bit. My panel is fierce as always. Hashtag fierce. It's true. And again, well, at the end of the day on this show, we're all about building trust and delivering truth. Before we meet my panel, I want to read you guys a quick disclaimer as usual. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. There you go. So really we're here today continuing this theme of back to school health. You know, making sure that our youth have all the resources for success and making sure that we're talking about a lot of issues that are out there affecting our youth today. There's a numerous issues out there going on. And I encourage you, I've done some shows on this in the past. Last year, we, this time we did a back to school health series. We did the inaugural one, this is the second one. I encourage you to go back on my website, uh, check me out on my YouTube channel. 
uh, find the podcast on, you know, through your favorite podcasting app. But there are so many themes that are out there today. I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to the show, and let's get into it. I want to introduce my guests. I have one of my guests in the studio, one of my guests, one of my esteemed guests who's joining us on the phone. So I cannot wait for you to meet them both because they are great at what they do and just really good people. People that really provide a service and care for others. People that have that that, that truly have empathy in what and uh, what they want to do an empathy to support people in their time of need. So I just can't wait for you guys to meet the panel. So I want to introduce my panel today on To Your Health with Dr. G. I'm going to start with my guest in studio. I'm going to read your credentials because her credentials are deep. And it turns out, I'll tell you a little story about her in a second, but I want to introduce my, uh, my, first, my first panelist today. Her name is Lindsay Antman, BS, NDTR. She's holistic nutrition and eating psychology coach. She's owner of Mind Body Kitchen, LLC. Check her out at her website, www.mindbodykitchen.org. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. G. So excited to be here. I'm so excited to, to, to have you here, too. So interesting thing that, that Lindsay and I, um, we connected through my wife, and uh, turns out that she and I went to the same high school, yes. Adelaide East Stevenson High School up in Lincolnshire, Illinois. So <laughs> what about that? Go Patriots, right? Yeah, small world. That's a small world, without a doubt. So, Lindsay, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, where did you do some of your, your schooling? And really, what does this theme today mean to you? Awesome. So I did go to Illinois State University. I have my Bachelor of Science in Nutrition and Dietetics. And then a couple years later, after working out in the field, uh, getting experience in all different realms of food and nutrition, I went through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating and got certified as an eating psychology coach. Um, I always knew there was more to the story of good nutrition and good health than just what's on our plate. And, you know, as much as I learned a lot in school uh, in dietetics, you know, it's, it's, it's very um, small. It's, they don't give you the full story. It's very one-focused uh, masculine science of, okay, this is what you eat. This is the nutrition, the science. But we're humans. We have thoughts. We have feelings. We have emotions. And certainly our relationship with food and body plays a big role in that. So uh, my challenges with disordered eating started in high school. I was on a competitive all-girl dance company. So, of course, that carried throughout college. And something clicked. I knew I needed to make a change. Um, I started focusing on food and nutrition in a different way, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but that's not always as common for a lot, a lot of kids to make that choice themselves or to even even recognize it. So. Well, thank you, Lindsay, yeah. for coming on the show. And you know, you're speaking volumes about you know when we do our training. Uh, that, that sometimes our training does not necessarily prepare us to you know go from the classroom to the real world. And I always tell people this: the most learning I've gotten has been. Out of out of residency and in practice, because that's when you really uh, are really faced with real world situations, real scenarios, and your learning curve certainly as a clinician goes up big time. But you wind up exploring, figuring out how you're going to work, but also knowing the, the realness of people. We're just so emotional, and so so nobody's the same. And I think that's something that we have to continue to just embrace. And I think I do that in my practice. I know you do it certainly, too, when you're working with clients as well, too. So thank you for coming on the show today. I want to introduce my next guest. She's joining me on the phone. Uh, we have a connection through through uh, our, our uh, work and everything. And she, she knows she, we, I got connected with her through the CEO of our hospital and then through some other colleagues at uh, Edward Hospital. So I want to introduce my next guest. She's joining me live on the phone, Dr. Jody Shaw. Let me read her, read you her credentials. Dr. Jody Shaw, she's, a board, she's board certified in both child and adolescent psychiatry 
psychiatry and adult psychiatry. She is with Linden Oaks Medical Group, and she's the medical director of the Eating Disorders Program at Linden Oaks Behavioral Health. Check her out at her website, www.eehealth.org. Dr. Shaw, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. G. And I'm so excited to have you here. Please tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you do your, your med school? Where did you do your uh, residency? And a few words, uh, opening remarks on what this theme of eating disorders in adolescence, what, how, does it, how does it apply to you? And what does it mean to you on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so I did my um, medical school training uh, here at Midwestern University uh, in Downers Grove. Um, I got my doctorate in osteopathic medicine through them, and then I went to Indiana University where I did my residency in adult psychiatry and then did my fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry out there. Um, and then I came back uh, here to Naperville uh, since I grew up in the area um, and started working at Linden Oaks Hospital uh, since then. Excellent. And then Dr. Shaw, a few opening remarks on what this theme today uh, means to you. Yeah, so I have been working uh, with the eating disorder population for about three years now. I did uh, some work in my training as well. Um, and for me, I mean, the biggest thing is um, really working, especially with the population that um, we're seeing the struggles with the most in terms of the adolescents and identifying um, some of these struggles that they're having and really working on changing that trajectory for them to help improve their overall health and well-being um, so that to prevent things from escalating to a point um, where, you know, they really do start to get very medically complicated. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So now that you guys have met my guests, really how the show works, after you met them, you know, what I do each week is we're going to break this down a little bit more because, again, we want people out there to have practical solutions. We're talking about some challenges this month, particularly so, uh, with, with a different theme of uh, back-to-school health. We're talking about some of the challenges that face our youth these days, and sometimes it's difficult to have these kind of conversations. But we have to be comfortable as professionals ourselves, and you out there have to be comfortable as parents and caregivers yourselves to have blunt conversations with your families, with your loved ones, with your kids. You know, parents need to parent. You know, teachers need to educate, coaches need to coach. Uh, but, but we want to make sure we have that environment for people, for our youth to continue to have success because what happens in their youth can translate to life. And then their adulthood, when they come and see me, I want to make sure that people have been transitioned very well. And we're going to continue that transition going as they become adults. So, uh, so what I want to do each week on the show, we have the chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour. And so the chief complaint, for those of you that are new to TRF with Dr. G, is when somebody comes into your office and they basically come for a particular reason. And so the chief complaint on this show today slash our question of the hour situation of the hour is, how do we empower kids to let go of self-judgment and disordered eating habits in order to restore a positive relationship with food and their sense of self. So I'm so excited again. So let's break this down. So I'm going to start with Dr. Dr. Shaw. I've got you on the phone. Dr. Shaw, just generally speaking, you know, eating disorders is a very broad topic, but generally speaking, how common are eating disorders in youth? Um, so I don't have specific statistics, but I, I would say it's, it's fairly common. Um, and even if they may not have a specific diagnosis related to eating disorders, we do see a lot of adolescents who struggle with some components of it, including struggles with like body image is kind of the biggest thing that we see with our adolescents um, and just their overall self-image and, and struggles with, with that piece. Um, so that part tends to be pretty common, and so that puts them at higher risk for 
um, starting to engage in some of these eating disorder behaviors that we begin to see with patients. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. So, you know, it's interesting, I'm going to ask this question to Lindsay in a second, but, you know, we're talking about children and adolescents, and we certainly are seeing a pressing need for, for intervention. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, at least when I, when I review some of the statistics, um, uh, eating disorders can be a daily struggle for many, many people, and we know that they're not adequately treated, uh, and so we want to make sure we have the systems in place to, have, uh, to, to provide for proper treatment. So let me ask you this question, Lindsay. You know, why should the general public care you know, we're talking today about eating disorders in our youth, but why should the general public care about this particular issue? Yeah, so that's a big question, right? Because the challenges that we're having with our youth are not a challenge of our youth. It's a challenge of us. Because who's raising our youth, right? So, yeah. Without a doubt. I'm pointing to myself, those of you that are tuning in. <laughs> yeah, so it's no secret that over 100 million Americans are on a diet today, and we don't even know if that statistic includes uh, our youth. So it's important to look at, you know, what is our relationship as adults and caregivers? What is our relationship with food and our body? And what are we seeing in the media? What are we seeing, you know, projected out there um, on the internet? And what's being talked about in schools among, you know, kids' peers? And how is that affecting their body image and their overall health and sense of well-being? Well, I think I think we gotta have these kind of conversations because there's no doubt. And we're gonna talk hopefully about in a little bit about the commercialization of of food and how it may affect in a positive or a negative way on our kids growing up. Uh, I think the reality is that is that kids um, need to have a framework. And, and yes, us as parents, it's our job. Again, parents need to parent and 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 continue to provide for our kids. Uh, the reality is that a lot of times there a lot of times people may kids may be going through things and they may may not tell their parents. So let me ask this question to, to Dr. Shaw. You know, Dr. Shaw, how do we kind of create an environment where it's safe for kids to talk about these kind of things for parents? You know, as parents, I mean, you got a parent at the end of the day, uh, but you don't want to come at, uh, you know, we're talking about hoping that, hoping that kids don't let go of their self-judgment, and we can be certainly very judgmental as parents. How do we kind of just provide a comfortable environment for people, for parents that are out there listening to us, to have honest conversations with their kids? Um, I think a lot of that starts with just open communication between the parent and, and your child um, and really kind of instilling that um, in, in the relationship between the parent and child so that when things do start to come up or when kids are struggling, that they do feel safe and comfortable coming and talking to their parents about whatever struggles they, they may be having. Um, and a lot of it in terms of eating disorders also comes with parents modeling, um, you know, some, some healthy eating habits and, um, you know, kids pick up on a lot of the statements that parents may kind of indirectly say about their own self-image or body image. Um, and kids, kids pick up on that stuff and then it starts to get ingrained in them as well. So kind of being, uh, cautious about some of those statements that are made in front of kids and, and being more positive about your own self-image as well, because I think that does reflect on how our kids view, view themselves as well. Yeah, and I agree that we want to, as certainly us having this honest conversation, we want to certainly make sure that children out there um, are, are taught how to cope with any negative behaviors uh, and certainly or any kind of uh, distorted thinking patterns, and, and then it will ultimately provide them with 
uh, the tools for long-term success. So, you know, it's interesting, one of the statistics that I found when I was preparing for the show, and it's just interesting, for me, as an internal medicine physician, I only see adults. And so I have to kind of come out of my own comfort zone to kind of have these honest conversations about kids. Now, my kids are, are very young, personally, but, but I know as they grow, there's going to be more questions, there's going to be more, time, more, more of a need for me to make sure I'm truly there. My wife and I want to raise healthy kids that have all the tools uh, necessary for, for success with their health and in their life. And education and everything is so fundamental. And so uh, I'm learning kind of as we go. And I say there's no, like, there's no like playbook to parenting, but you know, a lot of times we, we just kind of go with the flow and we have to kind of go and be, be flexible and everything. So interesting statistic that I saw um, that on, on eating disorders in particular was that 50% of teenage girls and 30% and of teenage boys use unhealthy weight control behaviors. Let me ask Lindsay, what do you think when you hear that kind of a, a statistic, 50% of teenage girls and maybe 30% of teenage boys, what do you think of that? I think, well, first of all, I'm not surprised, um, sadly, but I think it might even be higher than that. And for the amount of time, right, like we don't know, some uh, kids, young girls might engage in this behavior for a couple weeks and we can still count that as disordered eating that comes from a larger collective issue. So whether the length of time and we don't even know how much of it isn't documented. So I would say that number is even greater. Wow. Dr. Shaw, your thoughts on that kind of statistic that's out there? This is a statistic that was published in 2005 um, uh, in a book called uh, I'm Like So Fat. That's the name of the book, I kid you not. Uh, so uh, what do you think about that? Is, that? is that an accurate portrayal, maybe of the things that you're seeing in clinical practice, maybe 50% uh, of teenage girls and 30% of teenage boys using unhealthy uh, weight, weight uh, approaches? Yeah, I agree with Lindsay that I, my guess is that that number is probably higher. Um, and this might just be more reflective of the, the patients who actually do come in seeking help and treatment um, because not everybody who is struggling with these issues, um, unfortunately, a, a handful of them don't seek treatment. Um, so my guess is that there are a lot more people out there who are struggling with these disorders, eating behaviors that are, you know, more so than what these statistics are reporting. Excellent. You know, obviously in an ideal world, we want to, we would want to prevent uh, eating disorders from happening in the first place. I think we can all come to agreement on that one. We want all, all our youth to have, have access and equity when it comes to health. And so, you know, we call that primary prevention uh, for people out there when we want to prevent a problem from happening in the first place. So we know that we're talking about things that are that are rampant and eating disorders have been around for 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 forever it seems like um, I remember going back to our old like high school and I, I wouldn't say high school our middle school health classes uh, remember those days guys you have the middle school health class and you're and you're learning yeah. stuff about the body and then you might see a video uh, about anorexia or a video about bulimia or a video about binge eating disorder I remember those from back like. Uh, when I was in middle school, and that's like basically 1990, so I'm dating myself, everybody out there. It is what it is. That's why I was in middle school. But I remember that kind of stuff. And so eating disorders have been pervasive in our, in our culture, in our society for a long time. Uh, Dr. Sean, let me ask you this question. Have you seen, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself in 1990, by the way, but have you seen, uh, if you're looking at some of the data out there, have you seen these numbers just kind of grow? Uh, do you think they're just still stagnant? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I do think that the numbers are definitely growing. Um, I don't know if, if part of that is, you know, I, I think people are becoming more aware of of this issue. 
Um, so I, I think a lot of the um, providers in terms of primary care physicians are becoming more um, aware and they're, they're starting to identify these things, especially with the adolescents um, earlier, which I think is, is really good in terms of treatment and trying to get these, these patients into treatment earlier. Um, but I do think that the numbers overall, I would say, are probably growing, if anything. All right. Thank you, Dr. Sean. So, Lindsay, let me ask you this. Say, like, I'm putting you on the spot. Why not? So say, so, so say, you know, we're talking about primary prevention, hopefully trying to prevent eating disorders from happening in the first place. You know, let's talk a little bit about just kind of conceptualize, conceptualizing what can we do about it. So say, I'm putting it totally putting it on your spot. It's all good. So say, I, um, say you're asked to maybe consult for a school, you know, and they say, okay, Lindsay, how would you maybe, like, if you had to kind of come up with a program to help address or, like, at least to have this kind of conversation, how would you go about doing it? Would you kind of go back how we kind of learned it? in like health back in the day when we were in middle school or how would your kind of approach be? I'm totally putting you on the spot, yeah, but I love that's it. Okay. I, I laughed when you said that about our middle school, high school health classes because they barely touch the surface. Even when it comes to general food and nutrition, right? They I don't remember learning anything um, about that. <laughs> I think there was like a maybe like a food table, a food pyramid, and that yeah, was it. That was it. Yeah. So if I mean we, I think where we need to start is taking a different approach to food and nutrition in general. We definitely need more of it, but I also think we need to work on changing the conversation and changing the language around how we teach kids about food and nutrition and health taking out those restrictive terms as best as we can. And I'm talking things like, we should do this, or you should eat this. This is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. Like nutrition never has been, and I don't think ever will be black and white. So I think what we can do instead to empower our kids is to, to share what their options are, to teach them what they can do, and encourage them to learn about themselves because we're all individual. I like that, what, teaching them what they can do versus what they can't do. And you're right. Or when versus we have what the, they should do. Or should do. Yeah. Right. And we, we, I think we are very rigid. And maybe this is a problem that we just need to have better discussions out. You know, at the district level, I've seen schools are, 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 have, their, have their agenda to what they need to do to properly educate kids. And, you know, obviously we're educating kids in terms of, you know, preparing for college and things like that. We're not really educating per se as far as nutrition, I agree. And even we talked a little bit off, off air before in that, that in, in gym class, a lot of gyms or recesses are being canceled uh, or reduced. And so, you know, the, the onus is on learning, but it's learning about different subjects, but not learning about health per se. And so I think, you know, yes, you know, to pass an, to pass an SAT test or ACT test to go to college, yes, you're not going to talk about health. And so but you're right, our priorities may need a collective shift while still doing the foundation of things that kids need for proper education, prepared for life skills. But it's, 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 it's a tall order. Let me ask you this, Dr. Shaw, Dr. Shaw, say, same scenario. Say you were asked by maybe a school district, say, all right, Dr. Shaw, can you help maybe, maybe help us design uh, a program about eating, eating behaviors in kids or eating disorders in kids? How would you kind of maybe go about that? In terms of, are you referring to in terms of identifying eating? Yeah, eating exactly. And, and making the conversation just on the, you know, we talk about making the conversation as pertinent and as important as conversations about maybe math or conversations about science. How do we get it on that kind of level? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think just the biggest thing is educating um the kids about, you know, like Lindsay was mentioning, healthy eating habits and, um, you know, not 
being so strict about there are a bunch of different diets out there. There are a bunch of different fads that are going on and um, making sure that what they are doing or engaging in is healthy for them um, and not getting so rigid with a lot of that thinking, um, I think, would be helpful. Excellent. So there's an interesting statistic that I, that I read, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm about statistics and everything, but this is something from a long time ago that I thought was very interesting and see if it's kind of pertinent still today. So this is, this is from 1991 uh, in a journal called the International Journal of Eating Disorders, and they, the authors state at that time, 42%, again, 42% of first through third grade girls wanted to be thinner. And when I kind of read that kind of stuff, it kind of just dawned on me, like, you know, I don't, I don't remember how, the, how big the sample size was, but it was published in a, in a major medical journal. And, but when you kind of sat there and thought about it, like, nearly half of first through third grade girls want to be thinner. And I kept thinking to myself, where does that come from? Is it coming from the commercialization of body image? Now, this day and age, you know, social media is there, so your kids, uh, you know, when kids get to middle school, they're on there. That's usually when a lot of times kids get their cell phones and things like that. And so they're bombarded with things 24-7 versus when I was kind of growing up, the only time you saw something is if your, if your parents let you turn on the TV or you read a magazine and then it was done. There was no, like, 24-7 access to certain things. But, uh, so let me ask this question to Dr. Shaw. What do you think about that? You know, if we're, if we're having an environment where a lot, now this is from 1991, of course, and so who knows what it's like now, uh, almost 30 years later, but what, what do you think about that? If you're seeing, like, nearly, a, nearly half of girls that are in the first grade through third grade are thinking about that they're too heavy what does that really mean to you yeah i think that's pretty reflective of the patient population that we see because i mean we are seeing younger and younger adolescents and kids who are struggling with a lot of these eating disorder behaviors um so you know i do think a lot of the negative self-image piece does start a lot earlier than that and kind of is a precursor to some of these behaviors um, I, I know that this is from 1991, so my, I mean, my, my guess is it's probably even higher than that at this point, the percentage-wise. Um, but I think that that's, um, you know, reflective of, of like I said, that, that we're seeing younger and younger um, adolescents struggling with these behaviors. And the severity of the behaviors, too, I think is also um, kind of changed, too, because we're seeing younger kids struggle with more severe behaviors that are causing a lot of medical um, risks that are associated with it. Thank you. So, Lindsay, let me ask you that kind of same kind of question. You know, I'm citing a very old study, but here we are today, we can kind of interpret it and kind of what you see when you're working with clients in every day. You know, if that mindset's already there when somebody's six, seven, or eight years old, how do you undo that kind of thing and try to get people to get, think more positive, uh, have more positive relationship with body image and ultimately with food? Right. Well, again, you know, it starts with us. And there comes to a point in a child's, you know, I don't know what the exact age is, but where you start to notice your body, right? Like you're a human, you're here. Oh, I have a body, like what's this? And even in schools, like I, I've had conversations with some of my friends where they're sitting around with their friends at school, at the playground, and you start comparing yourself to others. I, the earliest memory I have of comparing myself to my cousin was when I was three years old. Okay, and I knew I wanted to be thinner, but I didn't know why. So kids get these ideas and it doesn't come from them, it comes from what they see in the world. If I'm thinner, then X, you know, I'll be more successful, I'll be more loved, I'll, my friends will like me, or I won't get kick, kick, kicked out of the friend group, right, if I'm fat, or whatever. They, they come up with they, these ideas, but it's, 
it comes from a larger picture. So that's a big question, you know, how do we undo, you know, centuries of damage that, that has created these numbers? You know, I think about my, my son, what he likes to do at home, and I don't know, it's my son, I got a five-year-old, and uh, he'll come to me and I'll like tap my belly, and I go, hey, you're tapping my dad bod. And, uh, and so it's it's not good at all, by the way. But but I but I kind of think that more I take it to the next level, and I'm kind of intro introspective, and I'm gonna say, it, like, is my dad bod uh, uh, having an impact on his imaging and what could be considered healthy? Now I try to I do consider myself a healthy person. Let me make that clear. Until you're with Dr. G, uh, but I can always do better. But 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 essentially that just kind of joking around. I wonder what kind of setup that sets up for kids. You know, if a, if a child's in a home and they see. Um, uh, health challenges, certainly ch children are very observant, but they don't get that consciousness yet until maybe they're a little bit older. Maybe I've read some studies that you get truly consciousness and awareness at around seven or eight years old. I'm like, hey, there's a world around me, and I'm really trying to understand it. But that's just kind of what I've read. Uh, so what's your thoughts on that one, Lindsay? Yeah, yeah, you're so right. You know, it's little comments here right. and there that we may not even internalize that, oh, this is going to have an effect, you know, 10 years down the road. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is something that I'm sure a lot of moms have said, a moment on the lips, an inch on the hips, right? Like, they're just trying to be funny, but what is that doing in a young child's mind that's going to creep up years later? Yes. And hashtag dad bod, by the way, uh, <laughs> without a doubt. So, but no, it's so true. We have to continue. We have to be careful, and kids are very observant of things. So let me ask this question to, to Dr. Shaw. So, Dr. Shaw, say like somebody does have an eating disorder. Um, generally speaking, and again, you could either talk about maybe anorexia or bulimia or binge eating. But what are the kind of you know if I'm a parent out there and I might be suspicious of something, are there any kind of signs? that a parent or a caregiver should know about their child if they suspect an eating disorder? Yeah, certainly. So um, some of the signs that they may start to see with their kid, um, what, one of the big signs would be a, a change in weight. Uh, if you start to notice that your kid's weight is significantly fluctuating, whether that's uh, a huge increase in weight or a decrease in weight. Um, other signs in terms of other behaviors, um, such as, you know, if they're exercising excessively, um, if they're engaging in behaviors like purging, um, sometimes you'll see some of those, those signs, um, you know, in, in the bathroom and things like that. Um, so those would be kind of some, some things that start to become aware of. Um, a lot of times I know this day and age, because everybody is so busy and everybody's, you know, most people are coming from two-parent working homes, um, you know, having meals together sometimes doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, if you are having meals together, if you're seeing that your kid is not eating very much at the table or consistently, um, you know, avoiding meals, um, those are things to be aware of. And usually, you know, if there are concerns that you have in regards to disordered eating, um, we would recommend that, you know, you touch base with, with the child pediatrician or primary care provider um, to maybe see if there's any further workup that needs to be done or they can refer, refer them to uh, the appropriate treatment if needed or if, there's, if it's suspected. Excellent. You know, there's no doubt, and I love what you said, Dr. Shaw, about, about making sure that people go ahead, if you have any kind of thought or anything, 
don't delay. And one of the things I always talk about my patients is I tell them, I go, I want you to call me, call my office, get a hold of us somehow. I'd rather know something than not know anything. And some people might say, oh, Dr. G, well, I don't want to bother you. I don't, you know, blah, 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 blah whatever. No, I'd rather have somebody do it. And certainly when it comes to uh, uh, our, our, our children, and I would certainly say my medical colleagues would say, yes, we want to know if something's going on. The best thing that we can do is reassure you as a parent that your child is doing well. But certainly if we're too late to the, to the game, so to speak, too late to the show, then there may be certainly uh, dangerous uh, side effects or dangerous repercussions that can happen out there. Uh, people being hospitalized or having other kind of long-term uh, medical challenges related to the brain or the heart or the bones or the kidneys or even the liver related to uh, severe untreated eating disorders. So we have to make sure that people stay engaged without a doubt. So let me ask this question to, to, to Lindsay. So I'm doing some research again. Again, I think, I think this is fascinating because I think for me, I'm, I'm learning, you know, every day is an opportunity to learn. And I get so excited about that. And, and, and I hope you do too out there. You guys get excited about it. But I always, I always try to learn something every day. So I found this interesting kind of statistic. And this is back from 1996. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this to a question. Well, it's going to work. Sure. Trust me on this one. So, uh, in 1996, um, there was a source, uh, Smolak et al., and they basically said, most fashion models are thinner than 98% of American women. Now, that's 1996, well over 20 years ago. How does the commercialization really, uh, of what we see as body image, how does that really affect people from your perspective? Whether it's, you know, clearly when you think of that and commercialization and thinking of success, a certain physique, a certain look, that will have tremendous impacts, I imagine, um, and potentially a lot of negative impacts. So what's your thoughts on that? Negative, positive on the commercialization of body image for our youth. Well, you basically just answered it, you know? It's like what we see on TV, models um, on the runway, actresses on TV, it's as a young girl, you know, I remember wanting to be an actress, I wanted to be a singer, so I'm looking up to these people thinking, oh, this is what they look like, and it's totally subconscious, right? Like, we, we don't do it, um, we don't say it out loud, it's just, we see it, and it processes in our brain, and we think, we make that connection subconsciously, is okay, if I look like this, then I will be successful. And so that's just, you know, one of the pieces, but I, I think, too, you know, how do we how do we monitor that even? Yeah, and agreed. And 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 this day and age, certainly again, when when I was growing up, it's just you know, when the TV was on, TV was on. There was no phones. I didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. And it's off. And now it's there, twenty four seven. That kids can have access to this kind of stuff, and so that can really set up a dangerous precedent for kids. You know, the best thing I think is that you know, you as parents out there or caregivers is to continue to have your have your child see see their doctor every year. And as Dr. Shaw said a few moments ago, uh, um, primary care doctors are being more um, they're doing more they're they're being more prudent in their ability to ask these kind of questions when they when they've seen kids for well child visits. But I think again, parents need to know everything about their kids as they can. On the flip side, you know, I remember Dr. Shaw, and I want you to elaborate on this, I elaborate this on a bit, you know, sometimes things are happening with our adolescents and our youth in secret, and parents may not know about that. So here's my question for you, for you, Dr. Shaw. Um, really, what can we do if kids are doing things in secret, uh, where can we go with this? Uh, you know, if they're looking at, at images on their phone uh, outside the guide of their parents, and they're seeing body images or commercialization, but, and they're doing behaviors in secret, how can how else can we do things? You know, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the symptoms, but 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 what do we need to do better as health professionals, uh, or as or as um, citizens or as a community to really 
get practical solutions? Um, well, I think, I mean, one thing that parents can, can do at home is, I think, monitoring, you know, what your kids are, have access to um, in terms of, like, the media and things like that. Um, as healthcare professionals, I think um, our, our biggest thing is going to be um, kind of be promoting the, that it's okay for them to get treatment um, and that, you know, there's a lot of stigma behind um, behind these issues and so a lot of people are scared to come forward or, or don't want to get that treatment because they're worried of what others may think of them or, you know, that the word may get out. Um, but, you know, I think kind of eliminating or trying to eliminate that stigma, I think, is, is the biggest thing, especially in our, in our profession through all fields of medicine, I think, is, is the biggest part. Excellent. You know, when you mentioned about limiting stigma, certainly I think about times where, you know, somebody has heart disease or somebody has diabetes, we're talking more broadly, that, yeah, that person will, you know, you know, as a clinician, you'll say, hey, I want you to go see so-and-so or so-and-so. You know, we don't have that conversation as much with this kind of thing when it comes to eating disorders. we got to be more comfortable to have these on the same par, on the same level as we would when we talk about cardiovascular disorders or any other kind of things. Again, your health is your wealth, and we're talking about trying to make sure that kids are set up for the proper foundation on everything that they're doing with their health and life. So let me ask this question to Lindsay. Uh, traditionally, we think about women, females, young girls with eating disorders. What about the fellas out there? What about the young boys? What are we seeing out there? We're definitely seeing a rise, right? I, I think it's mostly been about the women, and we're always talking about women um, and body image and eating disorders, so I don't think we're necessarily giving the men as much of a voice, um, or we're just not recognizing it as much, but it's definitely on the rise. And I actually wanted to make a comment to your last question to Dr. Shaw. Um, one thing that I think we can do at home, maybe from a prevention standpoint, or before things escalate too far for the young girls and for the young boys, is just creating a container of unconditional love in the home because we can only monitor so much, right, when it comes to what we're, what our kids are seeing in the media, um, what they're talking about with their friends. Um, but if we can just create that container of love and knowing that we support our kids and how that's going to affect how they feel about themselves ultimately. Excellent. All right. Well, let's do this. I want to I ask Dr. Shaw this question. Let's talk about some, let's talk about a few other things, you know, and then we'll get into our myths versus facts in a few moments. But, um, but I always like talking about sports. And, 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 you know, one of the biggest images we think about with eating disorders are certainly in the athletic world, the student athletes that are out there, whether it's, it's wrestling and, and students need to cut weight to make, to make get ready for their, their meat or gymnastics or swimming. What are you kind of seeing in the relation of sports and eating disorders. How are you seeing it in your, and play out in your clinical practice? Yeah, I mean, we're we're there. That's definitely an area that um, has a higher risk for eating disorders. Um, are the patients who are involved in in sports and activities? Um, you know, we I've unfortunately even heard stories um, through patients of of their coaches. Um, you know, kind of promoting certain diets or certain, you know, body image uh, things. Um, and so, unfortunately, these, these patients and these young adolescents are getting these negative thoughts that are brought on by the people that they, um, you know, are going to for support. Um, and so I think it's, it's important for, um, 
you know, everybody, including like, you know, healthcare professionals, parents, coaches, everybody to make sure that they're sending a very positive message to these young adults um, as they kind of are involved in, in athletics um, because we're definitely seeing there, I mean, that there's definitely a higher risk for eating disorder behaviors in, in patients who are athletics. Thanks, Dr. Shaw. So, so let me ask you this question, Lindsay. You know, you mentioned that earlier that you 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 participate in activities. You know, you're in sports, you're in dance, and things like that. But how is it different now? Like, like, what do you see now? You know, you're older now, a day older, a day wiser. That's how the saying goes. But you're older now. What are some things that you you might have done differently, or what would you advise? Um, you know, kids that are going through sports right now, based on kind of your own experiences to deal with properly having a proper and a healthy relationship with food and body image. Yeah, well, definitely looking back, I can see a lot of the areas where there was that connection between sports and especially competitive sports and how you look really matters. And it's a really hard toss-up because as a parent, it's like, well, I know that sports and putting my kid in those kinds of activities, like we say exercise is so healthy, but now we're saying it's an, it, it can be a risk factor. So it's like, where do we go with that? Um, just knowing that putting your child in sports or having be, having them be in that environment, you know, it, it poses a higher risk for chances of disordered eating, especially when they're surrounded by that competitive aspect. So we, I guess, you know, looking back, it's, I, I would love for coaches to focus more on body image in a positive light. And when you eat, that you're nourishing your body so that you can perform well, not so that you can cut weight or, you know, I know that's uh, with some sports, that's what you have to do sometimes. So maybe coaches can bring on a specialist because um, most coaches don't have that kind of nutrition training to successfully and healthfully guide their, um, their kids to do that. Wonderful, and that's a great practical solution that's out there, more of an integrated approach, so I think that's great. And, and maybe there are some school districts that have done that, that are doing this kind of integration, and maybe there's some that are not, but, but certainly this conversation has to keep happening. Hey, you guys are listening here. We're at Intellectual Radio Studios. You're checking us out live, of course. Uh, I want to get into a section that we do each week on, on Tear Up with Dr. G. It's called Myths versus Facts. So how it works is I uh, say a statement, and then my panelists will say either myth or fact, and they'll tell us why. It'll be kind of brief, it'll be kind of like rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. Uh, but I always want to have high yield information for those of you out there. And so I try to do this the right way. Uh, coming up with some of these kind of uh, myths versus facts can sometimes be challenging, certainly for me as an adult doctor, but we're going to make it work. It's all good. That's how we've got to be flexible and everything in life. We just go with the flow. So here we go, myth versus facts. Eating disorders in adolescents. First statement, here we go to Dr. Shaw. Myth or fact. Screening for eating disorders in adolescents should be done at routine primary care visits. Myth or fact? Uh, I would say fact. I mean, I think um, that's probably where a lot of the eating disorder behaviors first get identified are through primary care providers um, because they're, you know, they're the ones who are seeing these patients more frequently than some specialists are. Um, so I think it would be really helpful to have, you know, they really should all be doing screenings um, for these patients so that they can potentially, if they need to, get into treatment earlier rather than later, which provides a brighter prognosis for them. Wonderful. Thank you. Here we go, Lindsay. Myth or fact, you can tell if someone has an eating disorder simply by looking at them. That is a myth. Please explain. <laughs> uh, so we, we have this idea of, um, you know, someone dealing with anorexia, anorexia is that they're really, really thin, right? And 
a person of normal weight could be dealing with anorexic tendencies um, or bulimia or any of these eating disorders. It is not about how they look. Excellent. Here we go, Dr. Shaw. Myth or fact? Statement. Men don't get eating disorders. Uh, that's a myth. Please explain. Um, yeah, so I think I, I know you guys uh, briefly touched on, um, you know, that we're seeing more men who are struggling with eating disorders, um, you know, and we definitely um, are getting more males who are struggling with eating disorders. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think it, there's been a stigma that it's primarily just females who struggle with eating disorders, but um, there, there are a handful of males who are starting to struggle with eating disorders as well. All right, thank you. Here we go, Lindsay. Myth or fact? Eating disorders are caused by photoshopped images in the media. What's your take on that? Mm. So that's a bit of a gray area. I'm All leaning right. more towards fact. Okay. Um, I wouldn't, not necessarily cause, but it's definitely a factor in that. You know what we what we see, what the kids are seeing, is and they're portraying that as how they want to look. So. Excellent. Thank you very much. Here we go, Dr. Shaw. Myth or fact? People in all socioeconomic levels have eating disorders, a.k.a. eating disorders don't discriminate. Uh, I would say that is a fact. Um, we definitely see eating disorders that are prevalent in, in a variety of socioeconomic uh, levels. Um, so I would, I would say that's a fact. All right, thank you. Here we go. Lindsay, I like this one. I'm just keeping this going. Here we go. Maybe I might want to participate in this, too. I don't know. Let's see. Here you go. Lindsay, here you go. Uh, if my loved one insists they are fine, I should believe them. That's a myth. Please explain. Um, someone most commonly that when someone's dealing with an eating disorder, they're not going to talk about it or share about it because then that affects where they're trying to go. Excellent. Here we go. Dr. Shaw, eat, here's a statement. Eating disorders are a lifestyle choice. Someone can choose to stop having them at any given time. Uh, I would say that's a myth. Um, I, I think that, um, and that's part of the struggle with why a lot of patients um, struggle with recovery is because um, sometimes it does take several rounds of treatment for them to to get better and, and to really work on a lot of those negative thought processes that are going on. Um, so, I mean, I definitely wouldn't say that it's a, it's a lifestyle choice and they can just kind of snap out of it. I think that definitely requires, you know, treatment and, um, you know, work from their end to, to help them get better. Excellent. I'm going to do this one. Purging is purging or laxative use are effective ways to lose weight. I'm going to take this one. So, uh, the answer is definitely that's a myth. Um, not effective. Actually, they can set you up for, for, for dangerous. Actually, purging and laxative use use can actually give you a false sense of success. Uh, reality is this, certainly when it comes to laxative use, uh, by the time you've eaten food, you know, food, uh, food absorption actually happens in the small intestine, and so that's when you can get a lot of your nutrients. Actually, if you do like a laxative, for example, you're actually just affecting large intestine function, so you've already absorbed those calories from that food. And certainly from a purging standpoint, by, by if you're going to be vomiting, uh, certainly that is not an effective way to lose weight, especially sometimes even when food's already kind of hit certain, uh, certain areas of absorption uh, uh, through the stomach and into the small intestine, so that is a myth. All right, here we go. Uh, Lindsay, I like this one. We'll do a couple more of these. I like this. We're having fun. Eating disorders in adolescence are a result of helicopter parents and dysfunctional families. You know, I'm not too sure about this one, but I'm going to guess it's a myth. Hey, please explain. <laughs> I, I think it, it can affect anyone, even with someone who has a very healthy family dynamic. It can 
still affect them. They're they're a member of the world, and in this world, we're kind of all affected right now. Excellent. Here we go, Dr. Shaw. We'll do a couple more. Here we go. Here's a statement, myth or fact. As a parent, there's not much I can do to help my child recover from an eating disorder. Uh, that's a myth. Um, I, I think as a parent, there's definitely steps that you can take to help your child out. Um, one of the biggest steps would be getting them, getting them into treatment, um, I would say would be the, the biggest step that any parent could do to help their, their child out. Wonderful. Thank you. Here we go, Lindsay. Uh, here's a statement. Since I don't see my loved one engaging in eating disorder behaviors, I don't need to worry about them. That's definitely a myth. As we've mentioned multiple times before, a lot of these behaviors happen in secret. Excellent. And then here's the last one, Dr. Shaw. I thought about taking it myself, but I'm just going to give it to you. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> why not? Hey, it's a team effort today. I love it. Here we go. Recovery from eating disorders, though challenging, is absolutely possible. Um, that's a fact. I mean, we definitely do see people recovering from eating disorders. Um, Linden Oaks Hospital actually has an annual vigil uh, every May where we have, um, you know, previous patients that um, participate in this and we, a lot of those patients are, are recovered and have been um, in sustained recovery for quite a bit of time. So we, it, it's definitely a positive to see that, um, you know, these patients can overcome these challenges and, and can be in a, in a solid state of recovery. Wonderful. Thank you. So there you have it, everybody. Myth versus facts eating disorders in adolescence. All right, so we have about five minutes left, and this show's been going by so fast, and we've been having so much fun talking, and we can probably keep this conversation going on forever, it seems like, but I want to bring some closer to, closure to the show. Uh, we've been talking about eating disorders in adolescence, talking about um, uh, certainly the problem at hand, but uh, trying to talk about some practical solutions uh, for our uh, youth out there, for caregivers, and giving some practical tips to really make sure that they stay in, in charge of their of their of the health of their children and their loved ones. So we call, at the beginning of the show, we call it the chief complaint, why somebody comes into your office, so to speak, the question of the hour. Assessment and plan, that is when somebody leaves your practice, you give them a diagnosis, you give them a treatment plan, and most importantly, you give them, a, you make sure they schedule a follow-up. So here we go, let's break it down. Uh, we'll start out with Dr. Shaw, since I got you on the phone. Dr. Shaw, give us a few tips for families out there, people that are listening to our show today, a few tips uh, for them to take away to engage more with their children uh, if they are suspicious of eating disorders uh, for them. Uh, give us a couple tips. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is communication. So working on communicating with your kid, having those open conversations and very, you know, real conversations. And, um, and really trying not to be judgmental about it, but really coming from a place of, um, love and caring and, and wanting them to be in a healthy state um, and then you know getting them into treatment because um, I, I think that's kind of the, the biggest factor that plays a part in their recovery is getting them in the earlier you can get them into treatment the better prognosis they have for their recovery. Thank you Dr. Shaw it's been a pleasure having you on the show today hold the line all right all right. Uh, Lindsay, give us a couple take-home points, a couple tips out there for people that are listening to our show today, the caregivers, for them to be successful with this theme and making sure that their children and their youth have all the resources for good health. Yeah, so similar to what Dr. Shaw said is communication, so listening. Parents can listen and get curious with their kids. Um, if, if they're coming at the subject with argumentative um, 
in an argumentative way, that's just going to backfire. So listen, get curious, ask questions, and be a good support system. Again, what our kids are dealing with is often a product of what we're struggling with as well. So if a parent can work on their own relationship with their food and their own body, that at the end of the day is going to help their child kind of pick up on those more positive ways of looking at things. Excellent. Thank you, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And my kind of final thoughts are this. You know, we cannot lose our empathy. We cannot lose our desire to care for others. Uh, that is just the human nature. We, we serve. But we can't lose that when people are facing rising challenges or struggling with particular diagnoses. You know, we have to do better and we have to be better. And I think we can do that, but it's going to take a village. It's going to take like-minded individuals of community members, physicians, educators, administrators, coaches, you know, parents, anybody that's out there that's passionate about their children and our youth. We all have to come together to help solve some of these pressing issues. And I do believe that it can be done. And I do believe that with proper encouragement and hope, we can continue to create long-standing healthy behaviors for our kids out there. So I want to thank my guests today. This has been an awesome show. We've been having a great time here. Hashtag DadBot. i got to throw that out there again. Why not? In case you guys weren't paying attention. Uh, but I want to thank my guests today. Let me read you the credentials again. Uh, Dr. Jody Shaw, board certified in both child and adolescent psychiatry and adult psychiatry, Linden Oaks Medical Group, and medical director, eating disorders program at Linden Oaks Behavioral Health. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. I want to thank Lindsay Antman, BS, NDTR, holistic nutrition and eating psychology coach, owner of Mind Body Kitchen, LLC. Check her out, www.mindbodykitchen.org. Hey, you've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode. I'm going to conclude this Back to School Health Series. We're going to be doing Back to School Health Series Part 3, Battling Childhood Obesity. Hey, remember, share this show. Pay it forward. Spread the message. Check me out on my website at www.drmarkgomez.com. See you guys next week. Peace.